Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast. I am here joined by my fabulous co-host, Gianna Whitver. Hey, everyone. And our even more fabulous guest today is Nathan Hart. Very rude. Yeah, so this is a little bit more fabulous. Okay, Gianna, we're joined today by Nathan Burke, CMO at Exonius. We've actually been waiting for this for a while uh, and so excited to get into lots of details on what it took to bring Exonius to what it is today. Nathan is not shy to share his biggest secret sauces of success and, of course, mistakes along the way. So this is going to be a super exciting episode. Nathan, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. So let's just get right into it since we did that big teaser and now people are biting their nails. <laughs> you created this unique brand, you as in you and your team. And I know that it takes a village and you always actually remind us of that, which is very humble of you all the time. You created this unique brand within the cybersecurity vendor community. You made it your mission to not only sound different, but look different and act different. Uh, and it's worked. We all see it. We all know it. So as a CMO, how did you champion this across not only your team to get them excited about sounding and looking different, but also through leadership, which can always be a hard sell? I mean, you're, you're not going to be surprised by this at all. But I'm going to answer this question with something that's going to make you think I didn't even understand or hear your question, but I'm going to come around at the end and it's going to make sense. Okay. So when I went to college a million years ago, I started off as a marketing major and I hated it. I hated it. I learned nothing. It was so boring. And then I took a sociology course and I'm like, wow, I'm in love. And I fell in love with it. The idea of understanding how people behave in groups, how we build social structures, how we pass down information, how we build tribal knowledge. Um, all of it was just fascinating to me. Um, so I switched majors and I was actually going to go get my PhD in sociology, but I decided to go to work for a little while first. And now I don't know if you know this, but there aren't a ton of sociology jobs over there at the like sociology store. So <laughs> while I was in college, I taught myself how to code. And so I thought this was going to be like a short-term stint turned into seven years of a detour as I was a web developer, a solo web developer at a high-tech law firm. And being an outgoing person like I am and someone with an interest in sociology, it probably wasn't the smartest idea. Um, and so I found my way back to marketing. And now Exonius is my fifth startup, my third cybersecurity startup. So, okay, why did I tell you that? And what does that have to do with your question? Great question that you asked. All right. The way that I look at everything we do in marketing is I approach it like it's an engineering problem before I layer on the fun, emotional, and creative part. And so when you ask about like, how did I champion the creative and different piece my answer is pretty simple. There's an overabundance. There is a surplus of boring sameness. 
why would you compete with the boring stuff? And why would you compete with everything that's exactly the same when you can stand out with something that is memorable, that is different? Another way of saying that is if you want to do something that no one's ever done before, you've got to be different. And you've already seen what people can accomplish by doing the exact same thing as everyone does. So I don't think I've had to convince anyone of anything. It's supply and demand. It's it's unit economics, right? So to me, there's no convincing leadership. I don't need to do any of that. It's just there's a good reason for doing something creative, for doing something different, for trying to stand out. And I've got all the evidence to prove it. So it's not even a discussion. But wouldn't you say that the stars did line up for you in oh, the no sense question. that <laughs> and I would say you, you probably chose right and you did your homework, obviously, before joining Exonius, you made sure that it had the right type of leadership that was going to support you and support your ideas and make sure that you are set up for success. But there is that environment that needs to be there in order for these kinds of out of the box ideas to actually work, even though they're really not that out of the box, right? It's just, you just need to do different things. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've been saying the same thing a lot recently, and I'm sure people that work with me are, are sick of me saying it, but these are things that are obvious in retrospect. I think that's going to be the title of my book, obvious in, in retrospect, right? You're exactly right, right? I, so I mentioned this is my fifth startup. It's my third cybersecurity startup. I did not have the same situation before. But what I will say is this, and you can see this at my RSA Innovation Sandbox presentation when I started it. So my last company got acquired by Microsoft and I committed to being at Microsoft for four months. That was plenty for Microsoft, plenty for me, but I was trying to figure out what I want to do next, right? Um, and so I came up with, just like any good engineer would, my list of requirements, and there were three of them, right? I wanted to work at a company that was solving a big problem that was only getting worse. I wanted to be at a company that was solving that in a new and innovative and novel way. And number three, which was much more important than the two, is I had to love the people. And so for me, Exonius checked every box. I, I looked at a bunch of different companies and none of them made me feel like it was three out of three. And so to me, this was a scenario where in the past, I've been at companies where you have an awesome technology that you fall in love with and you're like, I'm just looking for a problem because I've got the solution. I just don't know what the problem is. And so you end up talking about features and you think like, if only these people would just see how awesome the technology is, that it would change their lives. I don't want to do that anymore because I'd done that before. Instead, I wanted to go into conversations and say, so do you have this problem? And on the other end, yeah, yeah, I have that problem. I, I deal with this every day. And that's what this was. So I think absent those fitting that criteria, then it isn't as easy as I said. It's, it's not as easy as just saying it's supply and demand and, and there's a surplus of boring and sameness. But I had all of those pieces. So you're exactly right. Like all of the timing aligned, everything was the perfect scenario. I'm not saying that everyone has the, the same set of circumstances, but for me, like, Arguing the part around, let's be different. I don't care what company it is. That's an easy argument to win. Absolutely. So in your true engineering nature, what would you say is the three most important aspects of brand building and story building that you took to get Exonius to where it is today? Yeah. 
So you made me go back and look at my August 2017 presentation when I talked about exactly this. And there are three. And so I remember the first conversation I had when I was looking at Exonius and uh, I still have the PowerPoint. And the one thing that I was saying is when I approach building the story for an early stage cybersecurity startup, the most important thing is that no one buys the shovel. They buy the hole it digs. And so what I mean by that is I have a problem. I need to dig a hole. I'm not going to say I need a stainless steel, this type of wood, this exact model of shovel that's different from this. No, I just let me take a hole. I approach it from that first, right? No one buys a shovel, they buy the hole it digs. So you're, you're buying the end state of what this thing enables you to do instead of this thing itself. And to do that, I think there's three ways that marketers can set themselves up. I think the first is you've got to be clear about the problems that you solve. That's the first thing. The opposite side of that is you have to be clear about the things you don't solve. If you just say, I do everything, that's a great way to annoy people that are genuinely looking to see if you can help them, right? So, so don't do that. It's, it's dumb. The second is you have to be clear and explain the net new capabilities that customers get. If you use this thing, you're able to do something you couldn't have done before. If you don't have that, then it's not a very good product, but we can talk about that later. And then the third thing, and the, I think this is really important, is you have to establish and build emotional ties. You started the question by like thinking of it as an engineer, but we are more than complicated houseplants, right? We don't buy things just on logic. And I think that is something that is underplayed so much in cybersecurity marketing that it's almost criminal where mm -hmm. you have to realize you're talking to a person. And I think we will see in 10 years when I'm on my rocking chair saying, get off my lawn, we're going to see that B2B marketing, cybersecurity marketing is so much closer to B2C to more emotional ties to understanding human beings than we are right now. And we're going to look back and say like, what were we thinking with all of the weird robots? Like it's, it's going to happen. I promise you that if we decide to be less human, then come visit me in the old folks home and, and tell me I was wrong. You are definitely not going to be in a rocking chair in 10 years. I'll be in an, a rocking chair this weekend. <laughs> that sounds everyone, great to me. Everyone listening, Nathan is not as old as he's promoting to me. <laughs> is it the jobs to be done framework? Do you, is that what you follow for this kind of like strategy? Because that's what it sounds like. So, uh, I mean, I don't really follow a framework. I just kind of put one together myself. But if there's someone that's done it better, then that's great. I actually don't know this framework. So if it's something like what you're saying, then yes. And I'm guessing probably someone has put it better than me in, in, in uh, a more consumable format. I just don't know it. Um, to me, like I just basically built this thing of how do I reverse engineer the things that work. And the way I've done that is, is those three things, right? The problems you solve, the net new capabilities, and then the emotional ties part. Um, so I, I, I just, I don't know that framework, but if it's anywhere similar and uh, more consumable, then yes, it's that. Well, I mean, we're going to take that and we're going to rebrand it into a cybersecurity marketing use case. And we're going to call it the Nathan Burke framework. Call it something way better than, do. yeah, yeah. <laughs> something better than my name. Yeah, Make yeah. It work. we'll name it something way better than my name. So, you know, on the topic of emotion, what emotion is Axonius trying to 
convey or get their prospects to feel? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's something that we've thought about a lot, right? And um, and I think we'll talk about this in, in a bit around some of the campaigns we're doing. But when I think about us as a brand, what's different about us compared to almost any other technology out there is that we integrate with all of these tools and all these data sources. We have like 450 different integrations. And so it is this idea that the more that we're integrated with all of these other tools, the better and the higher the confidence that you have that you understand what you have. And so to me, like one of the big core pieces of this, and, and I, I actually had a, a call today around competition and they're like, well, how do you compete with X thing? I'm like, great source of data. How do you compete with this thing? We don't compete at all. It's another great source of data for IOT devices or for mobile devices or whatever. So to me, like, when I think about our brand, I think about something that is almost like your really smart friend that you're kicking yourself saying like, why didn't I just ask Exonius before? Like, that's kind of what I, and you know, you go through all of these exercises of if your brand was a car, what would it be? And everybody says Tesla, but me, because no. Well, what we everything in the world should aspire to be a Porsche, but that's that's just oh me. man, we were we were banking on Elon Musk to sponsor this episode. Now we're gonna have to rethink this whole thing. He just he just invested in Twitter. He's too busy with both. <laughs> he, he's got like nine percent in Twitter. But to me, it, it is that like one of the things that separates us from everybody else is that we integrate with everything. So when you think about the big companies in cybersecurity that have a disincentive to integrate with everything out there. We're not that. And so it's almost like that friend, and I, I guarantee you have a friend like this, or you did, that somehow like in high school or in junior high or whatever, was somehow like friends with everyone. And they like were friends with people on the football team, but also that were in, in drama. Like you had that weird person that was like able to navigate through all these relationships, but then also made everyone better. That's how I think about our brand. Nathan, we have that today. Gianna and I have that. It's you. We come to you for a lot of advice. I didn't. I, I promise I did not set this up. I, I, you know everyone. It sounds like, oh no. I did and you, not mean and this. You do oh, give no. us great advice. You help us out a great deal. You've been with us since day one of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. And for that, we uh, appreciate you. But yeah, you are that smart friend, <laughs> except we're not in high school. But, but I do. I, like, I, I really think that is the brand. And I think that's also important because in a lot of the conversations we have, let's just put it out there, right? Customers feel like vendors are just trying to sell them more stuff always. But if you're able to be the brand that is saying like, I have absolutely no incentive to make more money off this, except for the fact that I just want to make you happy. Like the bar is low. I had a, a customer of ours reach out. And they said, I love Exonius. I use it all the time. Do you know how Google has in Chrome, they have custom search engines. I'm like, what if you created a custom search engine so that I could just drop something in Chrome and it would search Exonius? I'm like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. He's like, it would save so much time. I could just go right to the browser, type AX, and then throw in like an IP address. And then it would just automatically search Exonius. I'm like, I got it. Let's do it. I reached out to our, our product team. I'm like, a customer said this. Let's do it. Less than a week later, I reached out and I was like, here it is. It's in the product. He's like, wait, it's in the product already? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a good idea. 
He's like, no one's ever done this before. I'm like, what do you mean no one's ever done it before? He's like, generally, if I put in a feature request, I don't know, six months, At it'll least. happen. Like, it, this is easy. Like, why wouldn't we do this? That one little thing was someone that was absolutely delighted and so excited about that one little thing that, that was easy, but the bar is low. Like, do those little things and people are so excited and they want to talk about your product and they want to say, like, this vendor helped me do something that saved me, I don't know, a minute, an hour or X amount of hours uh, a week or whatever. But like, that's real. And that's something that people are going to repeat. And it's those little things that are really easy for us to do. But it's also something that I think we, our default position is like, we'll talk about it later. But mm -hmm. if you're able to be that friend that is able to say like, I understand how to help you and I can do it. And it's, it's really easy for me to do. And I'm just going to make you happy. Like that's kind of magic. That's a moment of delight. Yeah. You know, that's a great perspective to take. And it's one that like you just said, and like Maria said, usually our cycles and we make them cycles are like six months a year to get customers requests in and uh, making that faster is definitely something that could surprise and delight a lot of customers. So Nathan, let's go into this exciting campaign that we invited you on to talk about because this is such a cool, very consumer forward, consumer adjacent campaign mm -hmm. that is just going to blow everybody's socks off when they hear about it. And they already have because this podcast is coming out after the campaign. Or so, it might be right during the campaign. So like, oh, we, we oh. might time this yeah, just right. Yeah, let's do it. So tell us about this secret project that you and your team have okay. been working on. All right. Earlier this year, we announced our, our second product, right? Up until now. So we were founded as a company in 2017. I was the first U.S. employee. I joined November 1st, 2017. We had the first version of our cybersecurity asset management product in 2018. 2019, we won the Innovation Sandbox. And so like that was our first year of selling really. And so a lot of companies will get to that point, have one successful product and, and that's kind of it. But we want to be something that's different. We want to be an independent public company to do that. And I think there, there's, I want to say the, the title of the book might be Second Act, but I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I'll find the actual book and put it in here. But the idea is the greatest technology companies out there have a second act, right? They have success in the first product, but then they have something else that brings them to the next level. We need to be a company that has more than one product. We released our first new product since the beginning this year around SaaS management. What does that mean? Well, it means that even though we're still very squarely in cybersecurity, we're talking to people beyond just security teams. We're looking at SaaS applications and understanding of, let's get an inventory of all of those things. Are they managed? Are they secured? All, like all the configuration details, et cetera. So it's no longer just the Toyota Camry of cybersecurity, the asset management, whatever. We had to up-level our messaging because we're not just talking to the security teams. So Katie, who runs brand for us, one of the first things I talked to her about uh, is this idea of complexity. And I remember like she recorded it and she brought it back uh, like a year later saying like, we talked about this when I was brand new here. And 
I was trying to explain what we do, and I explained the idea of complexity. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Over time, everything gets more complex, right? Oversimplification, but you get it. We feel this in life. We also see it in work. So time goes on and we have more people. We have more users. We have more devices. So we buy more tools to manage and secure those things. So what started off as something like relatively simple becomes very complex. How do we understand how all of our devices are secured and how do we know where the data goes and how do we understand who has access? Like things get more complicated. I was like, I think our idea is controlling complexity. And, you know, I, I told a lot of people, like basically anyone that would listen, this idea of controlling complexity. My thought was, who is the person out there in the public eye that is the perfect example, the personification, the embodiment of being able to control complexity, getting over that inevitable change that they didn't see, but they were able to get past it. And the first person that I came to was Amy Bream. If you don't know who Amy Bream is, she is a CrossFit athlete. She's a kickboxer. She was born with one leg. And like, there's this video that's got like 11 million views. It's probably more than that now of her at the CrossFit Games. She was one of the first adaptive athletes in this competition. And you see her, and this video is amazing, right? So you see, you don't need to have the sound on and you can feel it, right? You see her trying to, to lift this weight and she fails. And then she tries again and she fails. And you can see that she's like, you know, crying. Like, I, this isn't working. And then for some reason, she's like, no, I'm, I'm just going to do this. And then on the third time she does it, and you just have this, like, you feel this emotion of, yeah, I get that. I've been there. I, I understand what she's going through. It's this idea of like overcoming something that it seems like there's no way it's going to happen. Um, and I feel like we all understand like the underdog and, but also just, we've all had this in our lives, right? I reached out to, to Amy and she never replied. And then Katie, who I said runs Rand, she's like, I'm going to reach out on Instagram because you have no idea what you're doing. And I do. Cool. <laughs> um, so she was the first person we worked with. We went down to Nashville and we kicked off the campaign with her. And, and you can see the video. I'm sure somewhere we'll include that. Mm -hmm. Or if you've been to Exonius.com, you can't avoid it because retargeting. We shot our first video with her around this idea of how she controls complexity. And so she's the first person we worked with. We have this, this big campaign that we're working on. It's ads, it's video, it's out of home, it's all of that stuff. So that's the first person that we worked with. The second thing is when I was asking other people, like, who else? And no one said this. And I'm like, I know the perfect person. And that's Simone Biles. Simone Biles, if you know her story, right, she's like the most decorated Olympian in, in U.S. history. She's also adopted and she had the whole Tokyo Olympics thing. And like, this is someone that is an amazing athlete, but is way more than that. Right. So she is someone that, and I, and if you know anything about what happened to Tokyo Olympics, where she, she bowed out and there were a lot of people criticizing her, but she brought to the forefront, this idea of, of how important mental health really is. And I think she's done more for people outside of 
being an athlete than than she has as an Olympian. And she's just someone that is, she's amazing. Uh, I can't say enough about her. And I'm like, I, that's someone else I want to work with. And um, I'm like, there's no way they're going to reply to us, much less work with us. I got in touch with my team and I'm like, let's create a video. Let's create a video to explain why we want her on our team. Why would a cybersecurity company have anything to do with Simone Biles? And we explained all of that. And we sent that on and uh, it actually worked. And so... What did you say in the video? So link here. I don't know how we do this in this, but... Um, It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. So I, I, I'll show you the video. And so the idea was we explained exactly why we wanted to work with her, what we do, and why she embodies this idea of controlling complexity. Now, the thing with Simone is that she doesn't do any like one-off, like small kind of deals. It's got to be both a long-term partnership, but also everyone in her family has to approve it. So we had to do a lot of convincing that um, we're the kind of brand that her and her entire family wants to partner with. And you'll see the, the video here. And so when we did our first of three or four videos, you'll see that here, but also we have the commercial, we have the long form, we have what we're calling dinner with the Biles. And so it's her family sitting around a table and talking about what she's been through. And uh, I, I, I couldn't be more excited about this, about um, our partnership with her. The other thing I will say is she will be at our essay in our booth. And so that's going to be fun. So you'll, you'll see that as well. So both Simone and Amy will be at our booth at RSA in 2022. So I think that's going to be exciting. Holy shit. I was not ready for that. (laughs) No, I neither. There you go. So this is a podcast. None of you can see our faces, but just imagine open mouths freaking (laughs) out. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. So um, I'm, I'm so excited. I can't wait to get this out there. Right at the time you hear this, it will, we'll make the announcement. But yeah, I mean, these are two people that I'm like just so in awe of. And I know that, that a CrossFit athlete and Simone Biles don't have a lot to do with cybersecurity, but they have an awful lot to do with the bigger theme of we all face complexity. It's inevitable. It's about how you adapt to it. It's about what you do to make sure that you're in a good place and not always reacting. There's a lot more to it. You'll see it in the videos here, but uh, this is one of those scenarios where if I went back to myself in 2017 and said, this is what we're doing, no way I'd believe it. That's so exciting. I mean, in 2017, did you think you'd be in on a Times Square billboard either? I mean, it just seems like Arxonius gets bigger and bigger and bigger with these bigger and bigger and bigger awesome marketing campaigns. So... Uh, I put it two ways. One is I would say, no way you're, you're out of your mind. And at the same time, I'd say, I could see that. (laughs) So how are you prepping Amy and Simone for being at RSA, given that they probably had never even heard about RSA until you reached out? Good question. What we're going to do at RSA, partially it's operationally what you can actually do. So you have security, you have distancing, you have all of that stuff. So what we're going to do is we're going to have Simone and Amy in. We have a two-story booth. And on the top story, this is where Chris and Ron will be doing interviews and doing live streaming. So they'll, they'll be up there and we'll do a live stream 
and answering questions. So like that's that's the easy part. We have a pretty cool like exclusive thing that we're doing as well for some of our prospects and customers. Uh, I won't get into that yet because the details are still like being worked out. For Simone, prepping the fact that there's like 40,000 people, that's a Tuesday. For Amy, I think she understands what we're doing and like, you know, how many people will be there and, and all of that stuff. I think the prep is mainly like how the message matters and, and how we can relate it to, to everyone else. So I think what'll be interesting is when they get off the plane, they're going to see billboards of themselves. That'll be fun. Billboards, bus wraps, all that stuff. So yeah, I don't think there's a lot of prep involved. I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. And I think the other thing I, I feel now is that we are so ready to be in person. We are so ready to be around 100%. other people in, in our industry. So it's just going to be fun. Yeah. Don't forget our VIP passes in the mail, please. Gianna and I will reach out on Slack, send you our address, or we can just meet up on day one of RSA yeah. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Maria, I, I don't see on the list here. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> For listeners, this is an opportunity also to see Nathan mentioned Ron and Chris. That's Ron and Chris, our producers. Ron Eddings and Chris Cochran at Hacker Valley, who will be the ones doing the live streaming with Simone and Amy. So that's very cool. We have to give a shout out to Chris Woo-hoo! and Ron. Thanks for producing us too. <laughs> Love you, Hacker Valley fam. <laughs> and now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and sponsor a podcast or two. So to... Ask a somewhat annoying marketing question, but also not annoying and something I'm sure you've thought deeply about. How are you going to measure the ROI of this campaign or the impact of this campaign? Yeah. So really good question. There's a couple of ways. The first is the reason we're doing this other than like up-leveling our messaging, which we have to do, is that the other part about how we're going to market is the idea that when we first started, we thought this was going to be very much an enterprise play. Like the bigger the the company, the more people, the more devices, the more acute the pain. And that's true. But we're also seeing a lot of repeatability in the mid-market. So we'll see mid-market companies come in in a quarter, buy in a quarter, and they just move a lot faster. But to me, the difference in the two is if you're just selling to the biggest companies in the world, you can do that through your account execs Rolodex, right? But if you need to go to hundreds of customers, they need to know who you are. And so because of that, we actually did uh, our first aided recall survey last year and we were at like nine or 10%, which means that 90% of the companies out there don't know who we are, which to me is like, that's great because we've done a really good job so far and 90% of the people don't know who we are. So I think part of it is understanding that the more you do in brand, you can see a subsequent increase of new people coming to your site and then conversion and whatever, right? So that's an easy one. But 
Also, as we look throughout the year, we're going to do multiple surveys on aided recall to understand how our brand is being recognized by people in our target market. So I think part of it is just the pure, how many people are coming to our site, signing up for trials, doing demo requests, all of that stuff, all important. But the longer term play is we've got a name that not a lot of people know. If that increases twice a year from the 10% to 12% to 15% to whatever, we can start to chart that progress over time. This is a very amped up, hyper driven, super big, awesome, amazing influencer marketing campaign in a way, in a way it's not entirely, there's multiple parts of it and everything, but you're using basically a consumer focused like influencer in the campaign. You're using sports, you're using athletes, the glory of the game, Americana, everybody, yay, rah, rah, sports. I want to know what you're doing on social if you're able to share anything, because this is so interesting to tap into the super large audiences of these athletes who are known, not just in the cyber world, but in the broader world as well. How are they meshing Axonius into what they're doing? Let me start by saying it's not going to be just athletes. It just so happens that the first two people are athletes, but we want this to be a multi-year campaign that isn't just about athletes. It's really about the controlling complexity idea. And I think we started with two athletes, but you're going to see non-athletes that really fit to this theme. One of the examples I, I keep coming back to is seeing what Modelo has done, right? Where they have athletes and other people that are, just have nothing to do with athletics. But like, that's the example that I like because it's around a theme, but it doesn't necessarily just have to be athletes. The other thing too is like we're global, right? And so the first two people that we have in this big campaign are US-based, but now we're looking at at um, UK and we're looking at APAC and we're looking all over the world. So the other thing around this is it's not just about athletes, it's around controlling complexity. By the time you hear this, you'll see some of what we're doing on social. So um, Simone and Amy and the people that we're working with in the future have a lot of followers on social, have a bigger social presence, and that's all part of the campaign. You'll see and you'll understand it in the next few weeks after you hear this podcast, what we're doing with social. And so I don't want to give too many details out because not only do I not want to give details, but also, Maria, you specifically said that I'm not an old man, but on social, I kind of am. So I was looking at Simone's Instagram and I'm like, Katie, what is that thing that's like a spinny, like square thing? She's like a story. I'm like, oh, fine. So I don't understand a lot of that world. I'm like a caveman. So part of my answer is I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I do know that we have a really good team that's behind the social strategy. So that's the best answer I can give you. <laughs> well, we can't wait to see it all. Yeah, we'll definitely link in the show notes to Simone's and Amy's social media. So everyone yeah. can follow and like and see how it evolves and what happens. So now that we've heard the Exonia story, we want to hear the Nathan story, even though you teased a little bit in the beginning of the episode. And by the way, on some of the questions, I did have a question that I deleted about your sociology degree. And I thought, oh, you know what? That might be too cheesy to ask him. How are you using your sociology degree today in marketing? And then I deleted it. And, and you actually covered it in the beginning of the episode. There so we go. <laughs> But tell us, let's go down the yellow brick road of Nathan Burke. Tell okay. us 
about that one or maybe two moments in your career that define the direction and the future of your story? My first startup failing really changed the direction um, and got me to where I am now. And so my first startup, it was a, a company that was a media recommendation company. So like way, way back where, you know, you go to Amazon and you see a product and you're like, people that bought this also bought that. And so I was part of a company that was building a recommendation engine for blogs and videos and podcasts, like all of that stuff way back when. And so I'll never forget it. I actually just talked about this this week. We were trying to come up with an idea of how we can promote this thing. And it was free. It was like a consumer play. And I actually came up with the idea of the, the company was funded by the Kraft family, the guys that own the Patriots. And so we came up and shot a video that was on the Jumbotron at a Patriots game. And so I went to that game and I saw my video on the Jumbotron. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And uh, it was a Sunday night game. And I'll never forget, I went to the office the next morning and I had like pretty considerable swagger walking into the office that morning. <laughs> and I barely even noticed the security guard standing out front. Like, this is weird. And I went in and uh, I was the only person with a smile on my face. And uh, it turned out that was the day that the company folded. That was it. So 52, 53 people that day told you no longer have a job. Oh my God. And so I went from up here to all the way down uh, in like 12 hours. And so I was like, all right, well, first of all, saying you have funding for the next year, unless it's in the bank, doesn't mean we really have funding. But also it really made me understand the need for showing progress, but also making everything quantifiable because just saying we have traction doesn't really matter. And so to me, that was one moment that it made me really understand that you have to have something quantifiable if you're able to say, I either need to raise more money or we're really making a dent in the market. Everything felt great up until that point and then it didn't, but you can't judge everything by feeling. And so I think that was one of the biggest moments of this could happen any day. The market could tank or funding could leave. So unless you have really good evidence, then Everything is ruled by feeling, and that's a pretty bad way to, to manage anything. Did you at least get feedback on the video? or <laughs> oh, Did man. you get a copy of the file so you could use it in your portfolio? I wouldn't use that in my portfolio no matter what. <laughs> there you go. There you go, everyone. You got your answer. So what about the happiest moment of your career? What you would think my answer would be is winning the RSA Innovation Sandbox, but it is not the answer. The answer is... My first hire at Exonius, who runs demand gen for me, is the first person I was able to promote to a VP. Was like my proudest moment is being able to see someone that I hired that we were talking about, what does she want to do? And she wants to run a demand gen team at the VP level and being able to promote her to VP by far that beats any award, that beats any of the milestones we have. Being able to say that from the beginning, to where she got to now, being able to promote her to VP was by far the biggest accomplishment. I love that. That's so selfless of you, Nathan, honestly, across all of your accomplishments, being able to help somebody and, you know, 
is and and making that your ha- the happiest moment of your career that's actually truly admirable but let's name her let's let's give her a name let's give her a big shout out so meg berry uh take her off your list of people you're trying to poach stop it stop <laughs> it i know you're thinking about it but uh no she's she's the best dimension person in cybersecurity period nathan where can people find you if they want to find you linkedin it's just nathan w burke i am terrible at twitter don't even bother LinkedIn is where I go. All right. So we're going to guess what would you be if you were not a marketer or a web developer? So I'm going to go first. I think you would either be a teacher or like, or a professor or selling mixed drinks at a tiki bar on the beach. Okay. Is any of those, or Maria, you go next. Hmm, Very interesting. I think you, I think you'd be in a band, (laughs) being a musician in a band. Okay. All right. So Gianna, I think you're closer. I think I would be like a professor of sociology at like USC, which kind of like brings me into like the, you know, tiki's like, you you know, you got to be at a bar on the side if you're a professor at USC, right? Or I would be a video editor for Oscar winning documentaries. Wow. That's very specific. I feel like that's that's still on your plan, right? That's, that's your career V2 kind of thing. Why not? <laughs> Hell yeah. Why not? Well, this is why your Axonius is such a big arm in media, right? I mean, we're kind of like, uh, you know, the new Netflix. If Netflix was a cybersecurity vendor with a bunch of videos. <laughs> I think Axonius will win an Oscar within the next 10 years. I see it. Okay. We've got a new OKR. I love it. <laughs> you heard it, kids. The hottest sociology course in the nation. At a tiki bar, <laughs> taught by none other than Nathan Burke. <laughs> Sign up. <laughs> Every day it's something new. I love it. <laughs> well, Nathan, this has been so much fun. I think my mouth hurts from just smiling <laughs> so much and laughing so goal. much and having so much fun and taking away a shit ton of really good advice and insights. And I hope our listeners uh, take that away too. Thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you.